So today we're going to be finishing our sermon series that's titled Kingdom Purpose. And this series is designed or was designed to give us more of a foundation to build our Christian life on. I sometimes wonder if maybe assumptions are made that, that uh, everyone knows what to do. Like you come to church, maybe you just gave your life to Jesus, maybe you've been walking with Jesus for years, but there's this assumption that just because you're here on Sundays, you know what to do. And I think that that assumption just kind of adds to the confusion of how do we do life within the confines of God's kingdom? How do I walk this out within the confines of what I read in the Bible? Things that I read or I hear, verses, passages, scripture, that, that make me think about life a little bit, how do I walk that out in my life? Kim started this series a few weeks ago, and she laid the groundwork with this series by teaching on our identity in Jesus. Our identity is very important. It's very important because oftentimes our identity is wrapped in our past. We allow the past to define who we are. And Jesus says that now that you're with me and my Holy Spirit is living within you, your, your past no longer defines who you are. Now, we can always use our past to help us in our present and to give us some direction with where we want to go. Like if we find ourselves making the same mistake over and over again, we might want to think about, <laughs> why are we doing this? Our past is always helpful, but our past doesn't define us. And if, if we don't get a grip on who we are in Jesus, we will never fully know what we were created for and what our God-given purpose here on this earth is. Like our purpose is much deeper than being a parent or, or being a good spouse or having a career. Those are things that we often find we, we often think our purpose is, but it's not. It's kingdom-related. And that's another reason why we started the, the School of Kingdom Ministry up again. You know, a good deal of that is finding your identity, understanding your identity in Jesus, understanding what your purpose is in God's kingdom, using those gifts that he pours into us, and encouraging others as we go through life. And then Kristen Fitterer taught on God's timing. You know, how do we know what we're supposed to do with our lives and when we're supposed to do it? Oftentimes, I feel like God speaks to me about things, but it's not quite the right time to press into that. But it is something that I want to keep in the back of my head, or I, or I make notes, I journal, and then I often refer to that. And sometimes, maybe it's something from two years ago, and I'll read it now, and I'll be like, oh, wow. I forgot God spoke to me about that, and about a year ago I started doing it. You know, God's timing is, is very important, and Kristen shared several uh, key passages that kind of help us dial in on that. And also in her message, there was things in there that, that might keep us from being able to hear God's voice when it comes to his timing in our lives. And so today, what we're going to do as we end this series is we are going to define what it means to find our purpose in God's kingdom here on earth. 
So you're going to hear that phrase quite a bit today, God's kingdom here on earth. Because God's kingdom isn't fully here on this earth yet. Jesus himself referred to this as the devil's kingdom. That's why we have so many problems. That's why we have, that we have sinful behavior and we have, we have death and disease. Everything right now is decaying because of the fall of mankind, because of sin, because of the devil. But God's kingdom breaks into our lives from time to time. When Jesus returns and sets up his reign here on this earth, that's when his kingdom will be fully restored. But until then, as followers of Jesus, we live life one foot in the natural world and one foot in the supernatural world. Like when we go to work, we're in the natural. But maybe God's kingdom breaks in while we're talking to a co-worker or, or maybe we're out at lunch or, we're, or something, and then the supernatural breaks in. So that's what I mean when I say God's kingdom here on earth. And, and also when it comes to our purpose, everybody wants to know what their purpose is, right? Like, like we often, sometimes we struggle with that more than others, but what is my purpose? How do I find it? How do I get there? How do I do this thing that is my purpose in God's kingdom? And so before we get started, I want to look at a guy by the name of Hezekiah. Now Hezekiah was a king of Jerusalem, and he, and he reigned as the king for 29 years, starting at the age of 25. Pretty young for a guy who was ruling a nation, right? But listen to what the Bible says about him. Hezekiah is a, is a, is a really interesting guy to study, and you can read about him in 2 Kings chapter 18, and then he's also over in the, uh, the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 38, around there, you hear, you, you, you can learn some more about him. But listen to this. King Hezekiah, starting at the age of 25, for 29 years, tore down a lot of the pagan temples, the Asherah poles, they called them, the, um, what else was it? Asherah poles, the pagan shrines, sacred pillars. He tore down these demonic places where people were worshiping false gods. So we're talking about a guy who went up against some serious spiritual opposition when it came to his purpose here on this earth. But let 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 5, listen to this. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before or after him. There was never a king quite like Hezekiah. He remained faithful to the Lord in everything, and he carefully obeyed all the commands the Lord had given Moses. So the Lord was with him, and Hezekiah was successful in everything he did. That's quite a resume. Now, in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 38, we see that Hezekiah is stricken with a fatal illness. And Isaiah comes to visit him, and he says, you know, king, you, you better get your affairs in order. You know, you're about ready to meet the Lord. And then Hezekiah, it, it, this, this prayer is written in, in, in Isaiah chapter 38, but he prays this prayer to God, and he asks God to spare him. I'm not ready yet, Lord. And then he says, God, remember how obedient I was, the things that I did for you? 
how I walked in your ways all my life. I was intentional. I was careful. I did what you wanted me to do. And God's response was, he added 15 years to Hezekiah's life. 15 years. And what we're seeing here is the sovereign grace and mercy of God Almighty on Hezekiah. Hezekiah, you're right. I think of, when I, when I think of this, Hezekiah just, just didn't do what God wanted him to do. Like, he came up against some serious spiritual opposition. He tore down these demonic temples and, and went against these high-ranking demons, is what he did. So that the favor of the Lord would be upon the kingdom of Judah, of Jerusalem. And so God said, you know what, Hezekiah? I want to add to your life then. You're right, you have been obedient. And another thing that this shows me is we can have these kinds of conversations with God. We might not always get the outcome we want, but it's okay to enter into a conversation. Hey, God, I would really like it if you could, and then fill in the blank. And listen for his response. But the question that I think we should ask when looking at this, it's a question I ask. Am I living a life worthy of God to add to it if I so request? Would I want to know what God's answer is to me? Would I even want to hear it? Would I be able to say, God, I was obedient in all that you asked me to do? See, God chose to add 15 years to Hezekiah's life because he had made the most of what he was asked to do by God. He didn't waste his life. He was a good steward of all that God gave him. And that's what God is looking for in us. So how do we evaluate our lives? How do we know that we're being good stewards with what God is entrusting us with? Because we can have these conversations with God, just us and him, and think that we're being good stewards. Because really, we're all good stewards of everything, right? If we've got nobody to speak into our lives. But how do we intentionally and transparently evaluate our lives according to God's word. Well, I think Ephesians chapter 5 is a good starting place for that. So we're going to read a passage from Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15. And this is just like, this is kind of like no-brainer advice. (laughs) But let's be honest with ourselves when we read this. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Isn't it interesting? About 2,000 years ago when this was written, in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And we'll stop right there. Now I'm reading from the New Living Translation, so yours might read a little bit differently. This passage 
is a really good passage for evaluating our lives. It seems so simple, right? Are we being careful with how we live? Making wise decisions? Are we making wise decisions? Or are we being foolish? Are we making the most of every opportunity? That's the one that gets me. I think I, think I could really step it up in that at times. I mean, really, am I making the most of everything? And do we understand what it is that the Lord wants us to do? These are questions that we have to ask ourselves. But really, these are questions that it would be better if we asked somebody who was close to us to see what their thoughts are on that, if you have the guts to do that. And you can't ask your spouse. Because I know that Kim will tell me I'm living up to my standards. Ask somebody who's not afraid to speak into your life what you want to hear. It's good to have those people in your lives when they're speaking the truth in love. This passage can be used as the foundation to define and discover our kingdom-minded purpose here on earth. I mean, this is, this is the foundation. Like, am I being careful? Am I being wise? Am I making the most of every opportunity? Do I really know what it is that God wants me to do? So how do we get to this defining moment of discovering our true purpose in life? And how do we ask the honest questions when evaluating ourselves? One day, this man comes to Jesus, and it was a trick question, but he comes to him, and I, I think since it was a trick question, I think he had a, a little bit of a tone when he addressed Jesus as, as a teacher. He says, teacher, he says, what, what is the greatest commandment of all the law of Moses? What is the greatest commandment? The law of Moses is the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, number, it's Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's what the uh, Jewish people study, mostly. What's the, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus responds to him in Matthew 22. He says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, he says. Love God with everything you've got. The single, the, the single most important act that gives us purpose in the kingdom of God is to love him with all our heart, soul, and mind. Everything we've got. Nothing should come before us and our creator. The most important thing we can experience in life is the love that God has for us. And to respond by giving that love back to him. Why? Because God created us for a relationship. A relationship with him. And the way to build on this relationship, to hear from God, to be centered on his, on his goodness, is through worship. We, at this church, put our worship at the end of the service. It's just what we do. 
There's a reason for that, but it's what we do. Coming together as a family of God and singing songs to him and about him. That's a, that's a vineyard distinctive. We're, we're, we're very um, intentional on the lyrics that we have in our worship music. We, we want to come together on a Sunday and we want to sing songs to God and about him. Now, I know not every single song is like that. But for the most part, we want to direct our attention to our creator. And see, worship in the, in the music setting is simply enjoying God's love and then loving him back. It's a friendship with our creator. And I know for me, sometimes, like, if I'm caught up into worship, and listen, we pray for this throughout the week. We pray that God anoints everybody here on this stage, and we understand that we are leading a group of people into an atmosphere of worship. Some of you are going onto the battlefield during worship. Some of you just need a, a taste of the goodness of God, and some of you are still kind of trying to figure this thing out. I know for me, sometimes, I just feel like I'm going to explode with God's goodness. That is his love. You can't define it. Sometimes you can't really put your finger on it and describe it, but it's, it's, it's the love of the creator that he has for his children. Music is powerful, right? Music is a very powerful thing. Satan was the chief musician, in, uh, a music director in heaven. That's what he was in charge of. He was the most beautiful of all the angels until pride crept in. Music, non-Christian music, all of it, it's, it's powerful. It has ways of reigniting memories. It, it has ways of, come on, how many of you sing in the car when you're by yourself? Right, that favorite song comes on, you know. Jimmy Buffett passed away yesterday. I know some of you are probably like, what am I going to do now? Music is powerful. I love music. But when I start singing songs to God, to Jesus, man, it hits on a different level, doesn't it? Because there's a spiritual connection with our Creator. Ephesians, uh, chap uh, uh, chapter, verse 19, just a little bit further down from the one that we just read, says that we are to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among ourselves. Making music to the Lord in your hearts. Coming together and singing with music. All throughout the Psalms, it talks about instruments to be played and worshiping God. The walls of Jericho, how did they come down? Music. Worship. It's very important, church. So here's the thing. We are going to center our lives around something. Well, hold on a minute. Music is, is powerful, and, and, and it's a good starting place for focusing our attention on Jesus because worship is centering our, our lives on Jesus because we're always going to center. Something is going to have our attention. Something will be the center of our lives, whether it's our family, our career, our stress, relationships, sports, hobby, the drive for wealth. Something will have our attention. So we must be intentional on making Jesus the center of that. All these things I just listed and everything else should be in your peripheral. 
It's a part of it. But Jesus needs to be the focal point, the center of our lives. Because when Jesus is not the center of our lives, when he's not the focal point, what begins to happen? Other things start creeping in, like stress and worry and fear and doubt and life, angst. It begins to creep in. I remember I often refer to this story and and I was doing an internship here years ago, and I, I worked in another job, and I was a school janitor, so I would work second shift. And then, and then the first day of summer break, we'd have to come in at 7 a.m., and it was like, man, I didn't even get to change my schedule around. And so I was also coming in here as an intern, and I, kind of, I stopped reading my Bible on a regular basis. And I come in here, and I, and I said to the pastor, I said, uh, uh, Pastor uh, Josh, he was our children's pastor at the time, I said, man, I'm just... I'm just not feeling like, I'm, I'm a little off balance spiritually. And without even looking up from his desk, he goes, well, how's your Bible reading going? And I was like, it's going great, like always, just like everybody else's. Like, I mean, I'm reading the Bible, but I wasn't. Man, I went home that night, and I was like, okay, all right, I think I got it. I, st- I, I got back into my regular reading routine, and within 15 minutes, boom, everything just felt like it was back in line again. This, this is a living, breathing word right here. It's not just a book. It, it feeds us. It fills us. It guides us. It keeps us balanced in life. And when our, when our lives are, are no longer centered and balanced on the one who holds it all together, all that other stuff begins to take place. Worry and stress and fear and doubt. And then we're no longer centered and balanced on the one who's keeping us together. Worship and centering our lives on Jesus also brings a peace that compares to nothing else. Philippians chapter 4, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. When you begin to worry about stuff, stop it. Talk to God about it. Give it to him. It's what he's there for. Tell God what you need and then thank him for all he has done. Thank him. You might not feel very thankful, then think about the things he's done in the past and begin being thankful about that. Because if he did this for you in the past, he'll do it for you now. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. And his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Centered on Jesus, focused on Jesus. There's nothing in this world that will keep us balanced in life more than the love of Jesus. That's why we need to keep him at the center of it all. How do I find what my purpose is in life? First of all, focus on Jesus. You got to keep him at the center. And then, Jesus wasn't finished with this guy yet. He has a second sentence to add. He says, oh, and by the way, just so you know, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor. Jesus just defined 
the entire Bible. Love God with everything you've got and love those around you with everything you've got. The root of our purpose in life is learning how to love God and learning how to love other people. That's not easy, is it? People are people. But we're all made in the image of God. No matter where we're at in our faith, no matter how grumpy we are, no matter how happy we are, there's people. When I always have somebody that I find difficult to get along with, sometimes when I, I try to see past that, because usually there's something there. Maybe they're going through something now, or maybe they have something from their past. There's a reason people are difficult to get along with. Nobody intentionally wants to be that person. And that's why Jesus is saying, listen, hey, this is just as equal as loving God, loving others. Because people need to be loved. We are to love God with all we have, and we are to love others with all we have. And why is this so important? Because God is love. God created us to be a part of his family, and his family is the church. The moment we put our faith in Jesus, he wants us to find a local church to become a part of so that we can enjoy being around like-minded people. The church is the one thing on this earth, this side of heaven, that will last forever. Everything in this room and when you leave this building is decaying, all of it. It's going to come to an end. But the church, us, those who say that confess with their mouths and believe in their heart that Jesus is the Son of God and that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Amen. Amen. We will last forever in heaven with our Creator. The church is the family of God. Listen to this in 1 John chapter 4. This is in the, in the back, same as the gospel, same John as the gospel of John, but listen to what he wrote. 1 John chapter 4, it's, it's right before um, Revelation. Verse 7. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. That's a pretty heavy sentence. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved you that God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought in full expression in us. Are we being the love of God to those around us? Or are we responding to their emotions? God 
is the very definition of love. Nothing else. I hear this phrase a lot lately, that love is love. No, God is love. He is the very definition of love. We wouldn't know how to love if God hadn't instilled it in us. He teaches us how to love. We'll never get a full understanding of what our true purpose is here on earth if we do not know how to love others unconditionally. We don't get to pick who we love. We must love all people, and we must love them unconditionally in the same way that Jesus loves us. How dare we treat somebody differently when we expect Jesus to love us in all of our flaws? We cannot say that we love God and then pick and choose who we're going to love. And we cannot allow an offense to keep us from loving others. This is why in Hebrews chapter 10, it tells us, the writer tells us to not neglect meeting together. This is why we meet together, church. And then in that same sentence, it says, and to encourage one another. It's hard to go through life as a Christian. And sometimes we need encouragement. Because we are held to a higher standard than the world out there. But if the world doesn't see us acting like the Bible, like God expects us to act, then we're no different. And that's why small groups are so important. Because we get that encouragement. We can get encouragement here on Sunday mornings, but if we're not meeting with other people in a small group throughout the week, we won't get the same amount of encouragement. See, we, we have all of these, these um, small families of God here on earth in different churches and in different denominations. And, you know, they all have a, uh, I think the vineyard is the best. <laughs> I think the vineyard does a really good job of trying to stay as close to biblical uh, uh, theology as possible. I, I really do. At different denominations, they have different theological uh, um, views. As long as they're pointing people to Jesus, that's what counts. And I think it's okay because, because maybe this church isn't the one that suits you, but you might find another one down the road that suits you better. Good. As long as you have a relationship with your creator, that's what counts. God uses all of this. And so there's all these, these families of God all throughout the world. And one day, we will all be together for eternity. There won't be the, the vineyard tribe over here and the, the Methodist over here and the, the Episcopalians over here. We're all going to be together. And if we can't learn people, un, learn how to learn, if we can't love people unconditionally here on this earth, how are we going to do it in heaven? Because I think God is going to mix, it, it's not going to be like it is now. It's going to be totally different. I don't know how it's going to be. I don't know, but I know that it's going to be a big mix-up. And, and we're, I think at the beginning, we're all just going to be like, ah, oh, wow. I've always said it. I want my mix-up to happen during the rapture. I just want to be able to experience that. Like, 
one day we're just doing whatever, and the next thing I'm like, Kim and the kids and I, we're all just, you know, maybe I'll see Rob Gibson over there, I don't know. You know, Jeff Flieger will be like, here we go, man, this is it. Kirsten will be there making sure everything's in order. (laughs) We'll all be together for eternity, and you know what? We will have things to do. Once the celebration is over, I don't know, I, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I believe we'll have things to do. And what we do here on this earth determines that. See, because we were created for relationship. And relationship means more than created to love God and to experience the love he has for us. All right? That's part of it, but it's, it's deeper than that. That's what I'm getting at here. When God created the man, his first response was, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper that is suitable for him. And he creates the woman, Eve. So it was Adam and Eve. It's not good for this person to be alone. It's not good for us to be alone. We're created for fellowship. We're created for friendships. And so we're not just talking about surface-level relationships here. We're talking about significant relationships. We're talking about life-changing, kingdom, eternal relationships that we make with people here on this earth. And these kinds of relationships do not take place if we keep to ourselves. Or if we say, I can't love that person, I can't love that person, I can't, you know, things have been done to me, I just, I can't do it. Listen, life is going to be hurtful and things are going to happen and we're going to have to work through that stuff. But we need to learn over and over again to trust and to love and to let people in. It's a part of life. Why is it? Okay, here's one. Ready for this? Do you think there's as much drama in like the bar scene and stuff as there is in churches? No. Why is that? Only in the church do we let the littlest thing about somebody else drive us bananas. And we want to make sure everybody knows it. Why is that? Go hang out. Go hang out in a bar. Find a bar. Wait, some of you, you're probably like, I know, Chip. Why is it that the world seems more accepting of people than the church does? We need to learn to love people, welcome them, so that they can experience this same stuff that I'm talking about here with their creator. Because we all have this desire within us to be known and to know others. It's it's ingrained in us. Once once that desire of of, of knowing our creator is filled, then, then we want to know others who, who are experiencing the same thing that we're experiencing with Jesus. And it starts by being intentional on building kingdom-minded relationships. And that really, church, starts in the small groups. And so the last thing we'll talk about today when it comes to helping define and discover our purpose in God's kingdom, is that we all have something to contribute. We all have something where we can encourage others, where we can help others. 
Are we making the most of every opportunity? And again, a good place for this is the friendships we make in small groups. Small groups is where conversations start, and, and somebody might, might have a struggle in life, and you're listening to them, and, and, and you know that you've been there before, and you're like, oh my gosh, I can help this person. Ah, you can't keep that to yourself. Share your experience with that person. That's how we build each other up. That's how we make the most of an opportunity. Uh, Peter said it best in 1 Peter chapter 4. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. That's another thing that we learn in the school of kingdom ministry. The gifts that we have and how to use them. This is called giving back, contributing, making the most of every opportunity. These gifts, these gifts are who we are. They're things that God pours into us that work with our, our personality, that, that work with our character, that help define our identity in Jesus. They're gifts that we, 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 we eventually feel comfortable moving in and, 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 and then natural in moving in. Maybe, maybe it's a gift of wisdom. Maybe it's a gift of service, like you love, just love helping people. Maybe it's a word of knowledge. Maybe it's a, the gift of healing, you know, whatever it is. God pours these gifts into us so that we can encourage others in our walk. And this is how we minister to other people. This is how we serve others. As we serve God, we are serving others throughout our walk. That's our purpose. That's why we have uh, serve, serve God and serve others on the walls out there. Psalm 116 is this, this beautifully written prayer by King David. But the prayer comes from an area of desperation and anxiousness. King David, he dealt with anxiety. He dealt with enemies coming at him. He dealt with a lot of loneliness. And, and he was a, a musician. He was artistic. But he was also a warrior. But he wrote most of the psalms down. And he, and he spilled his emotions out in these psalms. And they, they're used really to help us. But he writes this verse in, in, in verse 12. Psalm 116, verse 12. What, in, the mid, in the middle of this prayer, he says, What can I offer the Lord for all he has done for me? In your pleading, help me, O God, prayers. Have you ever asked that question in the middle of it? God, what, what can I do for you? Because of everything you've done for me, God, here I am once again begging for your help. What can I offer the Lord? How thankful are we that Jesus saved us from ourselves? Saved us from the life we are living to a life that leads to eternity in heaven? Or are we taking that relationship for granted? What would our answer be if Jesus met us face to face and said, what are you doing with everything I've poured into you? You know, when Peter wrote that verse about the spiritual gifts, what are you doing with those? I've, I've poured so much into you. I'm, I'm curious. What's going on? The gifts and the talents, the identity I gave you, did you make a difference, he could ask? Did you make the most of every opportunity? Are we doing that, church? Remember Hezekiah. 
He was on his deathbed. He says, Lord, I don't, I'm not ready yet. Remember all I've done for you. God adds 15 years to his life because of everything he had contributed. I know some people, too, that God added to their lives. Some of them have gone on to be with the Lord. But I think about their lives, and I'm like, man, I think, I think God... I think God really spared them for a minute because I saw what they did towards the end and they made a difference in the kingdom. Where are we serving God's kingdom and not expecting anything back in return? Who are we encouraging and not expecting anything back in return? What is my reaction when people hurt and offend me. Will I still trust? Will I still love unconditionally? Can I continue to do this as Jesus is calling us to do? That's a powerful question King David asked in the middle of this prayer. What can I offer the Lord for all he has done for me? You want to know where you stand with God? Ask that question with him. And then wait for the answer. It could come for days. And see if it changes things. So I want to close with one more passage, real quick. This one comes from the Gospel of Mark. Uh, chapter 8, verse 34. So prior to this, Jesus is having a little conversation with his buddies and his, his disciples. He's predicting his death on the cross, and Jesus says, oh, uh, Peter takes him aside and says, Jesus, don't, why are you talking like this, man? And, you know, poor Peter. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And Peter was, you know what? Peter was just looking out for his friend. Then... After this private conversation, Jesus calls the crowds in. Calling the crowd to join his disciples, he says, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. This is how we keep Jesus at the center of our lives. By giving up everything that stands in the way of what Jesus is calling us to do. Jesus says, you want to you follow me? you got to give it all up. Jesus should be at the center of everything. Everything else is a peripheral. By doing so, we will gain life. We will live the greatest adventure following the lead of the one who saved us from death. And we will begin to live carefully, using wisdom, making the most of every opportunity. And we will have the understanding of what it is that the Lord wants us to do. And when this becomes our kingdom-minded intentions, the full purpose of who we are in God's kingdom and what our role is 
will be more and more evident as we go through life. Amen? Let's pray. Well, Lord Jesus, I, I thank you so much for your word. Your word which teaches us, which leads us, which saves us, which guides us, and helps us become the person that you created us to be. Walking our life out with the purpose that you have for us. And I thank you for that, Jesus.